Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. We have a special guest today. I'm talking today with with Dr. David Fagenbaum. He has an incredible new memoir called Chasing My Cure, A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action. And his story is truly unique. It's, it's a tale of learning to live while dying. And it's it's about getting up and fighting back when life tries to knock you down. And you've, you've probably heard his story recently. He's been on CNN and Good Morning America and, and on all sorts of publications. And I'm forgetting probably 20 of them, but he's on a mission to tell a story and, and he's in a race to find a cure. And so Dr. David, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, you're, you're, you know, I want to take a few minutes and just, I want you to tell your story because it needs to be told in, in your timing, but I do want to set the stage too. You, I mean, you were a college football star, Ivy league doctor, beautiful family, and, and some surprises, major life-changing surprises happened to you along the way. So start as early as you want with us. And we just want to, I want our listeners to get to know you, and then we'll talk more about, about your book, too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I, was a, um, I, I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and my lifelong dream was to play college football. I um, really focused my whole childhood on training to become the best quarterback I could be with the goal of, of playing uh, Division One football somewhere. I had incredible support from my parents and uh, friends and family, uh, and really on this kind of singular mission to play college football. And um, I ended up uh, having the opportunity to play football at Georgetown uh, Patriot League School, um, where I, I was recruited to play quarterback and was so thrilled to achieve this this lifelong goal. And then a couple weeks after I got to Georgetown, my mom was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, a glioblastoma brain tumor, which um, which we knew uh, was um, was a very had a very poor prognosis. Yeah. Uh, this just totally shattered my life and my worldview, and it made football and playing college football a lot lower priority for me. Um, I really struggled, of course, you know, with my mom, really one of my best friends, uh, becoming so ill and and then passing away about a year later. And her her illness and her passing um, really uh, just devastating for me. And uh, as a result of, of going through that, I decided that I would dedicate my life to becoming a physician, to fighting cancer. Um, I would. I, I decided to switch to pre-med. I wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to treat cancer patients in my mom's memory. I wanted to get involved in cancer research to save future patients' lives. And um, so my, my life's focus went from football to wanting to become a cancer doctor. And I um, ended up going to graduate school in England and then coming back to the States for medical school. And um, there I was now as a third year medical student, um, really uh, far along my path of becoming a cancer doctor, um, uh, racing towards this, this dream. And then I had another major life event. And that's when I became deathly ill. Uh, with a disease at the time that wasn't diagnosed, uh, but where I experienced multiple organ failures. So my liver, my kidneys, my bone marrow, my heart, my lungs, 
all shut down. I was hospitalized in the exact same hospital that I'd been treating patients in. Mm. I was in the intensive care unit. I was so sick that I actually had my last rites read to me by wow. a priest because the doctors didn't think I was going to survive. Mm. Uh, and it was just a, a frightening, frightening time. No diagnosis. Uh, doctors, everyone thinking I wouldn't survive. Um, fortunately, right around the time that the di- that um, my last rites were read to me, uh, we received the diagnosis. I'm, I was diagnosed with a disease called idiopathic multicentric Castleman disease, which is kind of like a cross between an autoimmune disease and a cancer. And unfortunately, um, it's very poorly understood. And about a third of us die within five years of diagnosis. Another third will die within 10 years of diagnosis. And so it was frightening to get that kind of a diagnosis. But fortunately, um, with getting the diagnosis, I was started on chemotherapy. And that chemotherapy saved my life. Um, uh, you know, I was able to, to get out of the ICU, start to improve. Um, but unfortunately, I relapsed shortly thereafter. Um, and again, I spent weeks in the intensive care unit. And I needed multi-agent chemotherapy. So I needed a combination of seven different chemotherapies um, to try to kill this disease. And um, again, fortunately, my life was saved thanks to chemotherapy. Um, but at this stage, I'd spent almost six months hospitalized um, uh, battling this disease, and I was put on an experimental drug, a drug that I hoped would keep me in remission for forever, um, a drug that had been helping other patients. And I went back to medical school. I you know, went back on my path of becoming a cancer doctor and memory mm. of my um, and then I relapsed again on the only drug that had ever been studied for my disease and that, that has ever been studied for my disease. And I ran out of options. And uh, I learned that there were no other uh, promising leads for new drugs. There was no one doing promising work. And that if I wanted to have a future, if I wanted to live and if I wanted to um, be able to continue to fight this disease that I would need to get involved in research. If I hoped for a cure, I would need to turn that hope into action. And so in 2012, I promised my dad and my sisters and my girlfriend at the time that I would dedicate the rest of my life, however long that may be, to trying to cure this disease. And, and I was a third-year medical student. Um, and since then, I've just been racing full speed after trying to advance research and treatments for this disease. Mm, wow. Thank you. And I've got so many more questions, but thanks for sharing your story. I know it's tough and, and, you know, you've been living it for a long time that way. And man, you know, you've, I know one thing about athletes. I work with a lot of pro athletes and, and athletes are fighters. Athletes, you know, you, 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 you went pretty quickly to yes and had the opportunity to play division one. Well, that, that, that's doesn't just get handed to you. You work really, yes. really hard to get to that point. So you're already, you know, you've already shown yourself at that point, in your early age, that you are a fighter. And then that's, that's just in your DNA that you can't help it. And, but, but I want to take a minute. I don't want to stay on it, but you know, I've had health scares where I thought, I thought I had a heart attack and was fighting for my life and it changed my life. And then I was okay. And, and it was nothing compared to the fight that you're going through. And it really hit me hard. And, and when, when, when I heard your story, what help, most of us haven't had our, our last rights read to us. So most of us listening have not had that happen. Yeah. What take me to that moment. We won't stay there, but what is, what is that like? And how do you, how do you, what is your mindset to get past that? Yeah. So I had my last rights read to me one time, but now it's been, <clears throat> excuse me, five times that, oh. um, that I've come this close to death and that where the doctors didn't think I would survive. And, um, with each of these experiences, um, it was, uh, as you can imagine, um, it was scary. It was, um, <clears throat> Uh, it was so tough to see what it was doing to my family. Um, that was probably 
the toughest part was watching my my dad, my sisters, my girlfriend, right. putting them through. Um, and as I as I laid in in my hospital bed each time, <clears throat> and particularly the first time when I had my last rites read to me, um, I looked back on my life and I reflected on what I did, what I didn't do, um, and I started to regret things. And what I what I realized was that I didn't regret anything that I did do in my life, and I didn't regret anything that I did say. What I regretted were the things that I did not do and the things I did not say to the people that I loved, things that I knew that I would no longer have time to do because I, I would die within the next day or two. <sighs> that really taught me a lot about life. And you, you started off this this podcast by saying, you know, I, I learned a lot about life and about living from nearly dying five times and fighting back. And and, and one really important lesson for me was was learning that um, that what I regretted and what I think others may regret at the end of their time is is what they didn't do or what they didn't say. And so that's led me to kind of live by this motto. I, I call it think it, do it. And it's basically, you know, if you think about doing it, if it's the right thing to do, you should do it. Because um, if you don't say those things to the people you love, if you don't do the things that you want to do, um, then there will be a point where, where you may regret it. And the other is is something that, that's, that fellow sports fans will, I think, certainly resonate with. And that's this concept of overtime. So, you know, I, I've considered myself in overtime ever since the first time I nearly died when I had my last rights read to me. Wow. And you know, as, as you know, well, overtime is a time where it's extra time you didn't think you'd have. But every second counts in overtime. You know, if you throw a bad pass in the first quarter and it gets picked off, you know, you can make up for it. You've got three more quarters to make up for it. But if you throw a bad pass, it gets picked off in overtime. Game's over. And I live with this sense of being in overtime that every second counts and that I need to make the most of every second. And and really, I'm in my fifth overtime right now. You know, I, I've nearly died five times. And, and I have this clear sense that every second needs to count. But what I've learned and what I realize is that actually we're all in overtime. You know, each of us you know, doesn't know how much time we have. And each of us needs to make the most of every second. Absolutely profound. I, I'm, I've got goosebumps on my arms right now. Thank you for sharing that. It is think it, do it. The, the concept of living in overtime is, and you really have been in your fifth overtime. Wow. Right. And, and, and we need to live that way. And that's, that's amazing. And I think this is, I, I, I hate that it has to be you sharing the lesson and that your life has to do it. Although that, you know, in some ways there's some, some, it's beautiful and it's poetic yeah. and it's amazing, but, uh, but it's, it, we, I, our listeners, we need to learn from this. This is, and it, 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 I always say it's okay till it's not. And then if <laughs> something happens, it's too late. And then you're looking back and, and you've gotten five more chances. And so if we can learn from that, I think it's really important. So I, I want to, first of all, what, what was it like when you went through and realized the experimental, experimental treatments were not going to be a solution and that it was, that it was on you I mean, from a business standpoint, I've realized in our business before where, oh, it's on me to step up and I'm business development. I realized yeah. there was no one else that could do it. I stepped out. I had to step back in. Yeah. Wow. That seems like a, a really small example now, although it was big to me at the time. Yeah, but, of course. but here, here you are with your life realizing there are, there are not, a, there is not a known solution here. And I'm, and I've been read my rights and I'm here and this is, I'm on another overtime and now I've got to figure something out. What is that like? Yeah, I think for me, the, the most um, notable sense that I felt was just loneliness. You know, here I was a third year medical student at the University of Pennsylvania, one of the, the best 
research centers around where I just kind of assumed that there were researchers working on things all over the world. And even if I didn't see them, they must be making progress. And for every medical issue, there must be someone out there right. that's making progress. And, and I, it was um, in hindsight, I think that now I look back on it, maybe that was a little naive, but I think that many of us um, really believe that there are researchers out there figuring things out. And there are for a lot of diseases, but for a lot of diseases, there actually are not people out there figuring things out. And um, it was really, it made me felt incredibly, feel incredibly lonely. And it also um, was really scary for me. And, and it really just kind of uh, broke this sense that I had that, um, that there was kind of order and that like, there must be researchers out there figuring this out. It was, it was a really tough moment for me in my life. Um, but it did kind of give me clarity that um, I had been hoping and praying that someone somewhere would figure out my disease, um, but I had not taken any sort of action over the the previous three years. I, you know, I, I went back to medical school. I, I planned to become an oncologist to treat patients in memory of my mom, but I didn't do anything. Um, I had not taken any action to get life closer to what I was hoping for, the things I was praying for, and the things that I was hoping for. Right. I wasn't doing anything to get us any closer to those. And so um, for me, it made me realize that if it's something that is if it's something that is important enough to me to hope for it, if it's important enough to me to pray for it, then I really need to spend time reflecting on, well, what can I do to get us closer to that hope becoming a reality or that prayer becoming a reality? And for me, that was it was really tough to learn that and to be in a position where if I hadn't learned it, I would have died shortly thereafter. Um, but it, it's really kind of the ultimate stakes, right? And so I knew that I needed to get to work. And um, for me, getting to work was starting a foundation called the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network to take a, a unique approach to advancing research, or an approach that brings together patients, physicians, and researchers all together to prioritize research and to recruit the best minds to do Castleman's work. And, and in parallel, I began conducting laboratory research myself. So I, I got space in a nearby laboratory where I could start performing experiments on my own samples and um, wow. trying to find something, maybe a drug that already existed for something else that could maybe help me. Every, everything you're sharing is flooring me here. And I know it's because it's such a profound story, but, but just again, to go back and see, you know, I think of, of stories from the Bible as you talk about prayer and, you know, mm -hmm. for, for Moses to pray for somebody to deliver. And then, and then he said, yeah. Oh, it's going to be you. It's like, yeah. wait, me, why me? Of all, you know, yeah. of all, of all the history of time, why me? And, and yep. I mean, for you to realize and that, that word loneliness really got me. Wow. I mean, yeah, what did that makes sense? It does. Yeah. But then to realize, I mean, what, what was that like then? What was that fight that came back in you? They said, okay, well, I guess I'm the one who's going to be called to look for a solution. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a, that's a, a global, that's a, that's a, that's a game changing impact on, on everything. Yeah, it was, um, as I said, it was lonely, it was scary, but then it was really, um, I guess almost clarifying in the sense that like, okay, like there's, there's, you know, no one else is going to do this. If I don't do it, no one will. And if I, you know, I'm sitting there looking at my girlfriend at the times thinking, you know, if I don't figure this out, then, you know, I won't be able to spend more time with her. I won't be able to maybe have a life with her. And, and at the time I was so sick and I was in and out of the hospital that I, I wasn't really thinking, you know, years together. I really was thinking, you know, what can I do to, to get months more together? You know, what can I do to keep me alive, uh, to just make the most of every day, honestly? It wasn't even, I really wasn't measuring 
expected time in months, but it was just, you know, what could I do to spend more time with the people that I love? And, um, yeah, I realized that um, if I didn't do it, that no one else would. And I certainly wasn't confident that I would be able to do it. In fact, I think that I probably didn't think that I was going to make any progress. But I knew that I knew there was a zero percent chance um, if I didn't do anything, and I knew that there was probably a very small percent chance if I did something. Um, but you know, of course, thinking about a sports metaphor, you know, you miss you miss one hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. And um, I knew that if I didn't get going on trying that, um, that I would run out of time. And, and so, you know, I decided to, to get going. Wow. Again, thank you for sharing that, making the most of every day. You know, I think a lot of us who, who, who maybe don't think we're in overtime months doesn't, don't seem like a big deal. You know, we're looking at quarters and years at a time and, and, and some people honestly are just trying to get through the day. I talk to a lot of leaders. I talk right. to a lot of, a lot of men because I'm a, I'm a father and a business owner. And I, I, I work with a lot of men in different mastermind groups who are really just trying to even figure out how do I even get, pre- how do I even be present with my yeah. family when I'm home, let alone do my day to day things. And they're just thinking about it and getting through it, not in enjoying every moment. And so yeah. your perspective here is just profound and making the most of every day and looking at it in days and weeks and months to to enjoy and, 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 and cherish that time. Tell me about, I mean, let's talk, we've got about, uh, got about five, six minutes left. I'd love to take a few minutes and let's, I want to hear, so you talked about your, your, your girlfriend and I know you've had some progress since since then because I've, I've seen some of the news stories. I know your story. Tell me about that. And then I want to hear more about just with, with your book. I want to hear about more about what people can expect when they read through this memoir. Yeah. So um, at, at the time uh, of my fourth flare, the fourth time I nearly died, uh, Caitlin and I were, were dating. And as I said, I was just you know hoping for days or weeks or months of more time with her and with my with the, those I love, my friends and my family. Um, and I got got to work. I, I rolled up my sleeve, started doing lab work, created this foundation, um, and was making some progress, um, certainly as quickly as I could. When I relapsed um, about a year later, and again, nearly died for the fifth time. Needed multi-agent chemotherapy to save my life again. Um, and this time, it was maybe even more difficult because I had just gotten engaged to Caitlin just a few weeks before I relapsed, and mm. so um, the stakes almost felt higher. And it was mainly, again, it wasn't that. I, I was dis or I was uh, sad that I wouldn't have a long life with her. I think that I was really sad that I wouldn't make it to our wedding day. I was as, again living in a very short term sort of mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, our wedding day was five months away, and so when I got out of the hospital and I survived for the fifth time, I um, really got to work diving through all of my data to see if I could find some signals in my data to suggest that a drug might be effective um, for treating my disease and. Um, uh, I go through this in detail in the book as to kind of how I got to to identify this drug and think that maybe it could work. It was developed for another disease 25 years ago. It had never been used before for Castleman disease, um, but I decided to give it a shot um, because I had run out of options. And all I wanted to do was make it to May 24th, 2014, our wedding date. And um, so I started myself on this treatment. And, um, and just as you, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, I, and obviously cause I'm here today on this podcast, um, I, I survived through May 24th, 2014, we were able to get married mm-hmm. and, um, I've continued to fight for this disease. I don't know. Um, it's been about five and a half years that I've been in remission now and 
I dream and I hope and I pray for a long future with my wife, but I also um, know that I may relapse tomorrow and that I know that my overtime may end tomorrow. So I, I run a foundation um, that's fully focused on accelerating research for Castleman disease. Um, there are about 5,000 patients diagnosed each year in the U.S. with Castleman disease, so it's about as common as ALS, but obviously a lot less well-known. Uh, well and um, so I pushed for new drugs and new research, and, and then I also run this foundation. And um, and thankfully, uh, I, a little bit over a year ago, my wife and I had our first child, Amelia. Uh, yeah. Amelia and such a gift. As, as a parent, I know that you can appreciate oh, yeah. what kind of gift uh, it was to have Amelia. And so, you know, I, I live every day is a blessing. Um, but I also live knowing that I need to keep pushing things forward. And, and that's, you know, the main reason I wrote this book is to share the lessons I learned about life and about living from nearly dying. But I also wrote this book because I want to raise awareness about Castleman disease and about rare diseases more generally. These are diseases that are taking people all, all over the U.S. Um, that are, that are um, you know, these deadly illnesses where we need to do more research. And so um, I'm really hopeful that this book will help to – to inspire people to live in overtime, to think it, do it, uh, to turn hope into action, and as a byproduct, also um, help to raise awareness about these really frightening and, and mysterious rare diseases. It's a beautiful story, uh, you know, just the story of, of your wife's commitment to you and you, your commitment to her, and you know, those things can go so many different ways when crisis and tragedy happens, and to see to see that is just it's just such a beautiful. It's a beautiful love story, and then my daughter's not Amelia; she's Emily, and I, so I, I love the love the context of that name as well. And that's uh, just I, I love hearing that. Uh, ChasingMyCure.com is that the best place to go to to find your book? Yeah, the book's available everywhere books are sold. So any any local bookstore, you can pick up a copy. It's of course also available on Amazon. And if you get to ChasingMyCure.com, you can see various places that um, you could order it online or in, or, or in a bookstore. You can also read up a little bit more about my story um, and also read some reviews that others uh, others have written. It's been um, such an honor. The book came out on September 10th, and I got a chance to travel around the country for a couple weeks and, and spoke to almost 5,000 people um, over those couple weeks. And it was so special to hear people talk about what the story meant to them. Um, of course, um, there have been so many low points and also so many high points in my journey um, that the idea that what I went through and, and these low points that I endured, the idea that those could actually help someone else in dealing with their own challenges um, – kind of makes it easier to think back about what I went through and what my family went through to think that this is actually, you know, able to help others. And I really hope that it can be an inspirational um, story that, that can help many, many more people. Yeah. You know, when, when you say high points and low points, I know when you say low points, those are very raw moments that are, they're not even moments, they're whole sections yeah. of your life that with, with IVs and treatment and, and yeah, diagnosis and, and, and let, feeling that you're letting your family down and seeing the look in there, all those things. I'd, and so for, for you to share that with us, and I know, again, you have to say it very quickly, high points and low points and lessons, but I know when you say that, that the, yeah. those valleys are some massive valleys that you had to live and, and continue to have to fight through sometimes. And so for you to share that with us, uh, unselfishly as you are, uh, I appreciate that. And I just wonder, is there any, any final thoughts about what what do you want our listeners, what do you want people to take away from your story? I, I think the main thing is living in overtime. I think that mm. um, 
everyone can understand the the heightened sense of awareness in overtime and really being intentional about you know every move in overtime you can't make a mistake and it, and I, I i think that we should all live like that and not that we should be afraid to make a mistake but that we should be liberated to know that, that every second counts and let's make the most of it let's do the things we love doing let's be with the people that we love being with let's tell them how much we love being with them and i think just being liberated to know that the that you know timing is time is so precious um let's make the most of it and there's there's a, a lot more that obviously i wasn't able to cover today and, and a number of lessons from kind of uh, approaching um approaching death that I, I really hope that readers will be able to take away and and be able to start to implement in their life now they don't so they don't have to wait until they have their last rights read to them i don't have to wait until they go through all that i've gone through to learn these life lessons Dr. David Fagenbaum, thank you so much. Again, that book is Chasing My Cure, A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action. You can get it at any bookstore near you. You can go to ChasingMyCure.com. You can see it on Amazon. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, it's an inspiration. Uh, I, my, my heart is definitely touched, and I'm excited to, uh, to share this book with others and to watch what you're doing. And if we can help in any other way for any reasons, please don't hesitate to reach out. Oh, thank you so much. Honored to be on your show and just so, so appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. 